0: For another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, January 20th, 2012. I am so code oranged out, man. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebrew, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We're doing the biblical discernment work, uh, what the Bereans did in Acts chapter 17, taking what people are saying, comparing it to God's Word to see if what they're saying is true or if it's something well different this program's not politically correct it can at times be a cold bucket of water in the face especially if you're holding on to false doctrine being taught by the guys that uh, were well we're exposing here at fighting for the faith Uh, At times it can be funny, at times it can make you clench your teeth. I mean, the the gamut of emotions that uh, run in in listening to Fighting for the Faith could be anything from, you know, happy, laughing, crying, sad, to frustrative disbelief brain explosion. In fact, from time to time we play uh, a warning here at Fighting for the Faith to our listeners just to warn them that this is not a safe program. And by the way, if you're listening at work, i got to warn you, This program has been proven to uh, decrease productivity. So, you know, especially if you're uh, working, you know, out on a farm, you know, trying to get stuff done for your horses, things like that. I mean, you would think that this would be conducive towards, you know, outdoor multitasking type chores around the house or the farm. No, this program could cause you to become extremely unproductive. So from time to time, I play a warning here for our listeners just to let them know that
1: Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinew nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry atosis and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended.
0: You've been warned. That's all I can say. We're just going to dive into the program today. I'll tell you what we're going to do after I read our email. From across the pond, Pastor Jermais Nicholas Edward Charmley sends me an email, the subject of which reads Ed Young's Nonsense. You know, with a subject like that in the email, I'm pretty sure that Ed Young's. Um, lecture, sermon, I don't know what it was, at the uh, Code Orange Revival. Probably didn't meet with his approval. Pastor Charmley writes, he says, Dear Chris, I'm listening with some amusement (laughs) to Ed Young's sermon, and he he has quotes around that, sermon at the Code Orange Revival, perhaps better the Codswallop Revival. Yeah, Pastor Charmley, you're not showing off with that uh, with your British vocabulary there, are you? But gotta tell you, that's a great word, codswallop. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so the so at his sermon at the codswallop revival, as he certainly seems to be reviving a lot of codswallop. <laughs> Those are going Codswallop. I've never heard that before. Let me spell it for you. C-O-D-S-W-A-L-L-O-P. Look it up. I think Wikipedia is back online now. Anyway, first of all, he makes the astonishing facile false dichotomy between deep Bible teaching and evangelism as if the two were incompatible. That's rubbish. And he needs to be called on that. The vast majority of the church's history, it has been realized that a deep knowledge of the Bible is a good thing. Second, I have heard the man's sermons, and he says that in quotes, on your program, and they all sound to me like they are pitched at Christian's. He is not a red-hot, flaming, old-time evangelist. He is not preaching the gospel. He isn't talking about saving people, but about getting new people through the door. Sorry, I'm just not that excited about that at all. It would be one thing if he was preaching salvation by the blood weekly. Then at least I could forgive his facile generalizations about those with a concern for sound doctrine. But he's not. He's... He is retailing shallow sensationalism. That draws a crowd, but a crowd is not the same thing as converts. A car crash draws a crowd. A dogfight draws a crowd. A circus draws a crowd, which I think is one of the reasons why I'm pretty much sure that uh, these seeker-driven churches, I've seen secret driven churches that have as part of the perks that you can have your car washed while you're in service. I'm not sure dogfighting, though, if they've done that. If they have, it hasn't made the news yet because that's actually illegal in the United States. But they have done circuses. So, you know, anyway, I continue. The test of a fellowship is time. There are many churches that are like mushrooms. They spring up overnight and vanish just as quickly. Time is the test. Life application sermons are not in their nature suited for non-Christians. They are asking people to live as Christians without being Christians. There's no gospel there. Shallow converts are always in danger from the next cult to come along. A frightening number of Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses to say nothing of members of newer deviant pseudo-Christian movements were brought up Southern Baptists. I... I It used to be that one of the Sunday services in evangelicalism, usually the evening, was for evangelism, the other for building up Christians. But now it seems that these men are dropping all Bible study on the excuse that the church is all about evangelism. That is nonsense. If a man wants to be a full-time evangelist, well, fine. Fine. But there's a distinction between a pastor and an evangelist. Again, I note the difference between these men and the evangelical leaders of a previous generation. D.L. Moody founded Moody Bible Institute. C.I. Schofield founded Dallas Seminary. They were concerned for training. The The new men care nothing for training, and this worries me. Their so-called churches are becoming what someone described to me as cults centered on the pastor, and I think that's a good description. In fact, based on the the performance that I've seen more than a week now at the Code Orange revival, I am of the opinion that I think it's safe to say that Stephen Furtick is a cult leader. Uh, Yeah, I know that might come as a shock to some of you, but I mean... Uh, based on what his followers have been saying to me privately and publicly on Twitter, as well as an email and other stuff like that. I mean, this guy's a cult leader. He's, he's the visionary. He's the man of God. He's the new Messiah, but uh, he's not. But anyway, you get what I'm saying anyway. Um, all right. So, uh, so they described to me as cults centered on the pastor. The scripture says not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to thy name give glory? I memorized it in the King James. Ed Young, Stephen Furtick, and company say, in effect, where's the fun in that? The answer, of course, is it's not about fun at all. In the great name of our blessed Lord and Savior, Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. Great email, Pastor Charmley, great points, and I think you're spot on and absolutely right. And, of course, you have a very cogent and lucid way of uh, sharing your thoughts, including the new vocabulary words, for which I'm very thankful for. And Codswallop, I'm going to have to use that from time to time. See if I can remember to use it, though. I'm, I am suffering from creeping decrepitude, so adding new words into my vocabulary, a mm, little bit tricky, just a little bit tricky. You know, someone, someone pointed out to me that in the uh, Lutheran Confessions, I think it's in the large Catechism, uh, <laughs> that it says that... Um, Training old people is, or, you know, reteaching old people is impossible. So so it may be part of my doctrinal statement. I just, (laughs) you can't teach me anything new. Anyway, anyway, let's talk about what we're going to talk about in the program today. We just did our email here. Here's what we're going to do. I am suffering from code orange burnout. I mean, I am just done. And yet, and yet (laughs) the fireworks haven't begun yet. The grand finale is coming and uh, the the warm up for the grand finale of course tonight is td jakes uh, the man who is a money uh, grubbing uh, seed sowing you know that uh modalist uh, you know manifestation kind of guy and uh, i'm sure he's going to get everybody there at elevation church up on their feet clapping about themselves and pastor Furtick. but i seriously doubt we're going to hear the sound doctrine from TD Jakes why a bad tree doesn't bear good fruit can't be done anyway so what you know so the, that's what's coming tonight so we got to, that's tonight and i i don't know what to think about uh James McDonald James McDonald is tomorrow night and um i just don't know um what he's going to do i mean the, the people are saying, well, I hope he preaches the gospel. I hope that too. I, I, you know, I've heard him do it in the past. So, you know, but the, the problem is I just don't know, you know, what the direction he's going or, you know, the trajectory is on, it doesn't look good. And so, um, I don't know if he's going to do the right thing. Um, we can hope, but, uh, you know, flip a coin, you know, call in, c- call Vegas, put, you know, put a wager on it. I don't know. And it's kind of sad, isn't it? You know, that uh, you know James McDonald because of what he's been doing, you know, really over the last six months to a year, um, has gone from somebody who you know would generally can be considered a, a decent, predictable, sound Bible teacher to somebody who uh, you know, coming into the Code Orange revival, everyone's going. I don't know what he's going to do. I mean, let me put it this way: if for some reason Stephen Furtick. Had one of those bizarre, weird moments where he said, you know, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to ask Roseboro to come in and preach at the Code Orange Revival 2. Do any of you doubt for a second what my speech would be about? I mean, would people be going, I wonder what Rosebro's going to do? No. <laughs> I mean, just you, you, you just mention the idea, and you're going, well, everybody knows what Roseboro's going to do. He's going to preach law and gospel, sin and grace, repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and he's going to exalt Christ, right? You know, old, old school style, you know? We're going to talk about sin. We're going to talk about blood, you know, that kind of stuff. Lutheran style, too. <laughs> Proper distinction of law and gospel. But, I mean, the, everyone p- pretty much... As soon as the invite was issued, there's no chance that, that would ever happen but if the if in the if the invite was issued, everybody pretty much knows in their head okay the Chris is going to do this question is what's the passage going to be on and what's going to be some of the finer details but every one of you could probably uh write the you know the the outline of what it is I would say without me ever having to appear uh james mcdonald i have i don't know what's going to happen I just don't know i don't Based on the trajectory that he's shown that he's on over the last few months, I I hope he's going to do the right thing. But I just don't know. You know? So maybe he will. Maybe he won't. I don't know. And that's kind of the sad part about it. I mean... Uh, there's no doubt in my mind what TD Jakes is gonna do. There was no doubt in my mind what Kevin Gerald was gonna do. No doubt in my well, actually, I I kind of expected something a little bit different from Perry Noble. I expected a full blown sheep beating, and I, I my prediction too uh, turned out to be wrong there. I didn't realize that uh, that uh, Perry Noble now believes that Stephen Furtick is the Messiah. I didn't know that. That that's actually new information for me. So. <laughs> So, you know, his, his, his speech kind of caught me off guard. But, but you get what I'm saying here. I mean, all along, you know, I have – I've really come across as um, cynical – uh, you know it, basically knowing that the speakers who are going who were going to take the stage were going to really just biff it to you know drop the ball and you know and wrongly handle the scriptures and and Narsajit and all that kind. Of, I knew that was going to happen, and I came across as cynical because I voiced my opinions, but here's the deal: Bad trees don't bear good fruit I mean, do you think for a second that christine Kane? Somebody who buys into the word faith heresy as taught by Hillsong United was going to come to Elevation Church and rightly handle God's word and proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins and rightly handle God's word. I mean, she's a... You get what I'm saying. Anyway, so, uh, you know, that... So what we're... <laughs> I am... I've, like, totally derailed myself here. So uh, what we're going to do... Um, yeah, I need to look at what we're... gonna So I got the story from the Christian Post that uh, hit the... Uh, hit their site yesterday that I I want to read. Brittany Smith wrote another just great, well-balanced article entitled Perry Noble Defense Elevation Church Against Critics. We're going to take a look at that. Um do you remember when the Code Orange revival began, you know, on the eve of it I was saying that this whole thing is basically going to launch um Stephen Furtick into the constellation of TBN televangelists. You know, one of the subplots of this whole thing was that we were watching the birth of a TBN uh, televangelist. This is how they're born. And I said last week it was just a matter of time before Stephen Furtick began asking for seed offerings. Again, sounding cynical, but I proved to be right. Last night, he did. So we're gonna, we'll have a, a Stephen Furtick update where I will play for you audio where Stephen Furtick, to the best of my knowledge, has asked for his very, very first TBN-style seed offering. So we'll take a look at that. Um, I, I I've got We'll play a little bit of audio from Kevin Gerald's narcissistic uh, performance as the uh, Chief Joel Osteen knockoff. And uh, and then, in hour number two, I'm going to switch gears and we're going to do a good sermon. I've got a fantastic sermon by Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley on First uh, John chapter two. And uh, the name of the sermon is the antidote to Antichrist's anti-truth. And I find, you know, it's on First John chapter two verses 18 through 27. And I find that this sermon is the perfect antidote. Uh, to what it is that we've been hearing at the Code Orange revival. I mean, Stephen Furtick, he can brag about the fact that he's got Bishop Jakes coming to Elevation Church, but, you know, we're not going to hear the truth from Bishop Jakes. I can brag about the fact that Pastor Gervase Nicholas Edwards' Christ centered, cross focused gospel sermon, the antidote to Antichrist, Anti Truth, will be played on Fighting for the Faith today. So, you know, there. <laughs> and by the way, by the way, Uh, If you follow me on Facebook and Twitter, um, my son, um, uh, he's a a submariner in the uh, United States uh, Navy. And uh, he's stationed out of Bangor, Washington, uh, out there in in, uh, Silverdale. And uh, they they had a huge uh, snowstorm blow through. And so he had actually a couple of days off of work because of the amount of snow that was on the ground. And uh, so he was having one of those moments yesterday where he was – Suffering from you know snowbound cabin fever, and we were kicking around some ideas. And I don't know if you're familiar with the YouTube uh, video channel uh, called Brock's Dubs, but uh, we were you know talking back and forth about you know an idea of you know you know maybe doing a Brox Dub type thing on something Stephen Furtick had done, and uh, we settled on the Hey Haters video by Stephen Furtick. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. If if you go to YouTube.com and type in Max Holiday. Hey haters, you should be able to find the Brock's dub. You know, the, well, that's not a It's a Max Holiday dub version of it, and I'm not gonna tell you what happens. All I gotta say is um, I laughed so hard I I could have sworn that uh, I coughed up a lung and possibly a shoe. So anyway, if you if you want to get a good laugh, you know, look for that. And uh, you know, yeah, he, it's still on my Facebook wall and on my and you can find it in my Twitter stream. It's down a little bit, but anyway, you, that's what we're gonna do today. Make yourself co- comfortable, fuzzy bunny slippers if you have them, and it's and it's cold weather in your neck of the wood. They, they do enhance your, your listener experience. By the way, last night I told you I was gonna twit pick out. Uh, you know, me watching Kevin Gerald um you know, on the production computer in the PCR studio with my fuzzy bunny slippers on, and I delivered on that. And somebody said, "I thought you were joking, but now I know that you're not joking about the." See, I practice what I preach. This is really important, you know. I practice if I if I'm telling you fuzzy bunny slippers are a, are a, an enhancement to the program trust me I know this from experience I practice what I preach of course if you want to enjoy enjoy an adult beverage we do not have a problem with that keep in mind that the biblical prohibition is against drunkenness you do not want to become enslaved to a good gift that God has given us so with that we're going to dive into the program proper and let's do this. From the Christian Post, headline reads, Perry Noble Defends Elevation Church Against Critics, written by Brittany Smith. you, you got to, you know what, i got to tell you this. You've got to find this, this um, article and you need to look at it. The reason being is you need to see the photographs. Um, yeah, uh, if you go, go to Christian Post, and in their search bar, you can type in Perry Noble Defends Elevation Against, against Critics. It was uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even know if they have a date on there, but uh, this was posted late last night at the Christian Post website. And when you look at the photographs, I you know, knowing what you know about what was preached, preached. I'm using the you know the most elastic possible definition of the word preached, uh, but knowing what Perry Noble said and how he twisted Matthew chapter thirteen verses sixteen through seventeen, which are about Jesus, and made it about Stephen Furtick. When you see the photograph there, you got Perry Noble standing up and literally you've got you've got Stephen Furtick standing, holding his Bible in one hand and waving his other arm up in the air, you know, basically hooping and hollering. And the strange thing about that is that we all know that what Perry Noble was talking about was um, Stephen Furtick. It's just creepy. Anyway – Brittany Smith writes, she says, uh, South Carolina pastor Perry Noble came to the defense of Elevation Church and its pastor, Stephen Furtick, amid criticism that the church is not preaching a biblical gospel. Noble, pastor of New Spring Church, addressed thousands attending the Code Orange revival Tuesday night and responded to rumors that about Furtick that he, that he don't preach the Bible. Quote, I don't even know where that came from, Noble said. Rejecting the rumor, Noble asked those in the audience to stand up as proof that they had grown as Christians because of Furtick's preaching. If over 15,000 people have met Jesus at Elevation, he noted, then how could that rumor be true? Elevation Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, is one of the fastest growing churches in the country. The nearly six-year-old church has gained a lot of attention for its explosive growth in a city that already had a church on almost every corner. Along with recognition, however, Elevation has also gained critics. <clears throat> Enter dum-dum-dum. Chris Roseborough, apologist and host of Fighting for the Faith, has been a longtime critic of the theology and practices of Elevation. He has been following the 12-night Code Orange revival and was critical of some of the happenings, including Noble's talk. Quote, how is this a revival when they're talking about Stephen Furtick and not the Christ, he posed to the Christian Post. Roseborough expressed frustration and outrage in a Wednesday podcast over what he sees as a twisted gospel being preached at a church, making much of its pastor rather than Jesus. The apologist specifically addressed Noble's talk from Tuesday night where the New Spring pastor hijacked a biblical passage about Christ and made it about elevation and furtick. Noble cited Matthew chapter 13, verse 16, but blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear, as he reiterated to attendees that they are blessed. He preached his message with the statement, I believe God sent me here tonight to encourage you. Outlining the history of Elevation and how Furtick has grown the church over the last six years, Noble centered his talks on reasons why he believed Elevation to be a blessed church. He said, the first reason that we're blessed is because of what you have seen. You've got a little flack from some good friends or some family members who say, Oh, you go to that church, Noble told attendees. They don't understand why you're so excited about your church, but the truth is they can't see what those at Elevation see. He noted such as the thousands who got saved at Elevation during last year's Christmas sermons. Noble also said that Elevation was blessed because of what your ears have heard, such as negative rumors spreading about the church uh, The church and its pastor. Again, Noble pointed to the growth in the church's evidence of God's blessing. Roseboro told the Christian Post that Noble's missing the point in using a straw man argument. He said that no one is actually saying Furtick doesn't preach the Bible. What they are saying is that he twists the Bible. Big difference, by the way. Pastors like Furtick and Noble, when criticized, often point to numerical growth and transform lives as proof that God is behind their ministry, the apologist argued. While he sees nothing wrong with people overcoming addictions or being successful, what he does see as wrong is pastors equating these successes as the fruit of the Holy Spirit and proof that what they're doing is from God. Dr. John Harden, a writer for Nine Marks, a DC organization that helps church leaders define success as faithfulness to God rather than numbers, told the Christian Post that much of worldly success today is measured by how much money do you make, how many inches is your television, how many customers do you serve, how many members do you have. If something is shrinking in size, we think it's failing. We measure quality by quantity, and so do these modern churches. He said, for these types of churches, it's much easier to measure and communicate success by reporting 50 baptisms instead of the details of transformation in one person's life. But for Frank Turek, author and president of crossexamine.org, the transformation of people's lives through the messages of the gospel needs to be a focus for churches. He told the Christian Post that the church has has to have some sort of program to disciple people who stay, if they are just going to get the same come-to-Jesus message every morning, they're pro- they probably need some way to get into the scriptures themselves. Even Bill Hybels, founder of the Willow Creek Community Church, admits that the seeker movement has not made disciples and has taken steps to change that, Turek pointed out. Roseboro emphasized the need to look biblically, as as to whether or not something is a move of God. You don't point to numerical growth as an indicator of whether or not something is of God. You have to listen to the content of the message that is preached, he said. He said, if numbers were a sign of growth and blessing from God, then that would mean that Islam is blessed, since it's the world's second largest religion. For the apologist, the only way to tell if God is truly involved in a movement is if Christ and the gospel are rightly preached and sinners are confronted with their sin. Earlier this week, Roseboro blasted Elevation for censoring a sermon preached by Texas Reform Pastor Matt Chandler. Chandler's sermon, which Roseboro believed was a biblical one, as it focused on Jesus and God's renown, was not broad- rebroadcast on the web as other speakers' talks were. Elevation spokesperson Tanya Bendixson told the Christian Post earlier, We decided to do a prayer time live during the first rebroadcast. We were getting so many requests for prayer. <clears throat> Chandler, who has also expressed concern with verdicts preaching, had cautioned Elevation members in his talk last Friday about who they give their praise to amid growth. Just be careful, Chandler said. Israel never did well with blessing. I'd rather that not be your story. Elevation members and revival attendees responded to his talk with a standing ovation. His sermon is now on YouTube, Elevation announced Thursday. I, I Really? Um, they've been pulling it off of YouTube, and yet I haven't seen it on the Elevation channel. But okay, an official podcast will also be released from the church. The Code Orange revival continues through Sunday. Chandler and Noble were among 11 speakers invited to speak at the revival. Again, uh, great art, art, great writing by Brittany Smith, well-balanced, and I'm glad to see that they're covering both sides of the story, uh, which I think is a fair thing to do. But uh, yeah, you decide... Uh, where the truth lies there I've already got my mind made up and I don't think any of you um, need help figuring out where I stand on this particular issue alright we're up on our first break if you'd like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith you can do so my email address talkback@fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook it's facebook.com forward slash Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter my name there Pirate Christian. we'll be right back
2: If you think God is a black woman named Papa, then you need to get out of the shack and read your Bible. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be
3: taking your false doctrine now.
4: Pythons Flying Circus
2: Church.
1: Welcome to Build-A-God. How can I help you?
4: Hi, i got this Building god certificate from a fellow co-worker, and I came to check it out.
1: Oh, that's nice of your friend. You must be excited.
4: Well, uh, what exactly are we doing here?
1: Oh, you silly man. We're building your very own deity.
4: I don't feel comfortable doing this.
1: Seems sort of like blasphemy. Oh, don't be silly. Everyone does this. Let me help you. First off, you decide whether your God is male, female, or unisex.
4: Well, the Bible talks about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it also says that Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day, so he has to
1: be male. You? Okay. Next, we have to define the attributes of your God, like whether he's loving, kind, or compassionate.
4: Well, in the Bible, God is just, he's merciful, he's righteous, and he's wrathful, all at the same time.
1: Okay, then. Well, what is your God's take on sin? He fully condemns it. It's
4: pretty obvious what God thinks of sin. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Humanity's only hope is in the blood Jesus shed on the cross.
1: Are you saying your God doesn't accept gays?
4: Don't think so. God destroyed Solomon and Gomorrah with hellfire and brimstone because of it. I don't think he has a very high opinion of it.
1: Could you excuse me for one moment? Sure. Hello? Can you get me the mall security? Thank you. Sir, I would be a religious terrorist here. Yes, he's a closed-minded Bible believer. Yes, I'll distract him while I wait for your men to arrive. Thank you.
0: Alright, we're back. Warning Christians worship God and God only. If you worship your pastor on top of it, you're an idolater and you need to repent and be forgiven of that nonsense. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can support us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith, Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to fighting for the faith and then send that to post office box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Sing it if you know it.
4: They be your partner.
0: You're so vain. You probably think the Bible's about you. You're so vain. You probably think the Bible's about you, don't you? Don't you? You know what's really weird? Um, we're doing a Stephen Furtick update here. Uh, y'all remember American Idol from a few years ago? Um, Danny Gokey uh, was on there. His uh, brother, Charles, follows me on Twitter, and um, he was laughing at my karaoke version of um, Carly Simon's You're So Vain. Apparently, uh, I see that as a sign that I could easily make it on the reject shows of um, American Idol. If I really pushed hard, I could easily do that, but... Anyway, <clears throat> I digress. So uh, do you remember back at the uh, beginning of the Code Orange revival, I was saying that one of the subplots of all of this was that uh, we are watching literally the creation of a, um, of a tele-evangelist. And that it would be just a matter of time before we heard Stephen Furtick begin asking for and you know basically trying to press people for seed offerings if you're not familiar with the concept of a seed offering you have never spent any time at all ever watching tbn a seed offering you see here's how it works do you need a miracle in your life well well you can get one yeah it's true all you have to do is plant a seed you're going huh plant a seed i mean what do you want to go out and buy some carrot seeds uh, Maybe some uh, you know, um walk, uh, you know squash or maybe a pumpkin seed or something like that. No, 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 no. Don't see you're thinking too literally here. No, no, no. A seed is money. And so the bigger the amount, the bigger the seed. And when you sow the seed, and what that means is you give it to the tele evangelist. When you sow your seed, then what will happen is is that God will look down from heaven and go, "Oh, I, uh, I've got to bless that guy, or or that gal. I I got to bless that person. I just got to." And so, and what'll happen is is that then God will cause your seed to return back to you. A hundred fold a thousandfold and so so the idea is this okay um you, you know it, you, you, is there a house that you would like to buy and it's way outside of your uh um, your your budget you know maybe you you know maybe you're in one of those you know seventy five thousand dollar condos in the midwest, and you'd really like to move up in the world, and you've got your eye on a on a really nice piece of property man and uh and and you know there's a house being built on it. And it has, you know, forty-two hundred square feet, a good piece of land. I mean, you could do some landscaping there, and you know, you th- you're thinking throw in one of those, you know, permanent backyard barbecues, maybe a maybe a jacuzzi, you know, and stuff like that. But the problem is, is that well, you know, that that piece of property is like three hundred and sixty thousand dollars. And you know, and you're thinking, <laughs> well, I live in Southern California. Property like that would be like, you know, two point seven million. Well, it doesn't matter what the amount is. You get what I'm saying here. You know, I'm working from you know Midwest prices, and so the idea here is is that, well, if you know, you know I know it's way outside of your, you know, your. It's a stretch for you to be able to get that. All you gotta do is sow a big enough seed to a TBN type ministry. And God will give you the money that you need to get that house and and have that property. Isn't it great how that works? So, you know, that's the concept of the TBN seed offering. And since we're watching the rise of a new star in the constellation of TBN preachers, by the way, this is the kind of stuff that T.D. Jakes is, well, very famous for um, and we've actually played audio of him shilling for seed offerings, $1,000 seed offerings. You know, Stephen Furtick, I mean, he's sticking his toe into the water, and um, but it's just a matter of time before he really gets rolling. But he's actually, last night, he asked for his very, 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 very first seed offering. Yeah, we've got proof. You ready?
3: And for those of you who are a part of our church who give regularly, we want to thank you for making the Code Orange Revival possible. I got some news today that... There will be a significant opportunity for our church that we've been praying about for a long time this year that's huge and massive. And so for those of you who have been blessed by God to be a blessing, I want you to consider before this revival is over, sowing a significant financial seed, whatever that might be. It, it may be small to someone else, but... Sow a f- significant financial
0: seed. There it is. There's details here.
3: means a world to you or... The Lord may have been so good to you that that you by just opening your heart and trusting him by faith could make such a big difference in this ministry that we could continue to touch the world. And it really comes down to this will, will you be obedient to him and choose to trust him, so he can unlock a great blessing in your life. And
0: I'm gonna to... So if you're obedient to Him and you choose to trust Him and you sow a significant financial seed, God will unlock a blessing in your life. Now, granted, I mean, Stephen Furtick is not nearly as comfortable and skilled at asking for seed offerings TBN style yet, but he stuck his toe in the water. I mean, that's a good first effort, don't you think? I'm sure that with just a little bit of practice, he will be a skilled seed offering heresy kind of guy. I mean, if you're going to be on TBN, you know, you got to learn how to Ask for the seed offering and promise people that God will unlock blessings in their life if they'll just sow seeds. It's not what the Bible teaches, but there you go. Stephen Ferrick his very, very, very first crack at asking for a seed offering. The Nutella evangelist is officially been birthed. That's the, in fact, that's the first breath. I mean, you know how when babies are born, you know you have to spank them and they take a breath and they start crying. <laughs> Right? That's what babies do. But see, when televangelists are born, the first thing that they have to do when they're born, their first breath is asking people for a seed offering. So it's official. Uh, Stephen Furtick is now a TBN televangelist, seed offerings and all. Moving along, we're going to listen to just a smidge of uh, (laughs) the uh, narcissistic me stuff of Kevin Gerald's presentation from last night at the Code Orange Revival Again, Kevin Gerald is a cheap, is a cheap knockoff of Joel Osteen, uh, but he's really good at you know <laughs> tickling ears and telling people what they want to hear. Here, listen, in. here's a little bit of Kevin Gerald from last night. Wow!
2: Wow! 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 Yeah. I- I got to just make some confession to you right now. I I have peers, I have friends in ministry who are concerned about believers being built up and encouraged a whole lot that, you know, believers might get a little bit too, think a little bit too much of themselves and, and, you know, get a little bit too puffed up. And I I just want to tell you, I don't share that fear that some of my friends in ministry have. I actually feel... A deep concern for the complete opposite. And, and, and here's why. Because sin has left its mark of shame and condemnation by the, by the power of what is called inherited iniquities from one generation to the other. And, and, and my concern is that people like you and me would undervalue The value that God places on us. And we would underestimate who we are.
0: Yeah, it's weird about this message. It doesn't even sound anything like what I hear in the scriptures. Psalm chapter 18, verse 27. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. Psalm 25, verse 9. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Psalm 34, verse 2, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Uh, Psalm 55, verse 19, God will give ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from of old. uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, see, over and again, um, I just don't see anything in Scripture about thinking much of yourself to be a big thing. Instead, we're told to humble ourselves. And, um, and that God humbles the proud and the arrogant and brings them to naught, you know, things like that. But this sounds like the opposite of all that stuff we read in the Bible, but he has, this is a very strong conviction he has on his heart. Well, that makes it true. And from God, right?
2: Ephesians. I only got so much time. Help me out here. When I read the book of Ephesians and I start off in chapter one, it says this. He blessed us. He chose us.
0: Yeah. Go back into the archives of uh, fighting for the faith. It's funny that this is what he's preaching. Uh, Go into the archives of fighting for the faith. I actually reviewed Kevin Gerald's very, very first sermon on uh, on this ephesians uh, sermon series that he recently did, if you type in Kevin Gerald in the Fighting for the Faith search box there you 'll see the uh, this sermon and uh, that I reviewed it. Listen to it. I mean he is the first person that I have ever ever heard preach. Ephesians chapter 1 and literally just make it about himself. I mean literally tease out the words about him and just kind of ignore the ones about Christ. It's breathtaking to listen to. It's funny that I was able to review a sermon where he did this exact same thing at the, you know, he did this at the Code Orange Revival but he did this exact same thing in his own church and I happened to have reviewed the sermon when it occurred. Hmm, strange.
2: He's lavish love.
0: understand this, uh, Paul writes in Second Timothy chapter 3, understand this that in the last days there will come difficult times for people will be lovers of self lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive disobedient, ungrateful, unholy heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, not loving good treacherous, reckless and swollen with conceit swollen with conceit, yeah that's what the Apostle Paul warned about
2: You know, I know there's a few people that might need, I mean, I think there are such a a minority. There's a few people that might need to have their pride held in check. But I'm not nearly as concerned. Yeah, just a
0: couple of people out there. But, you know, man's basically good. You know, so there might be a few prideful people out there. Uh huh.
2: About that, as I am men and women not understanding who God made us to be, He, come on, He crowned us he crowned us with glory oh
0: my okay it's all about me
2: even in my mother's womb he formed me he made me to have dominion over the work of his hands i am the head and not the tail three ephesians consequently therefore we are no longer strangers and pilgrims but we are fellow citizens in the house of god we are members of god's very own household don't try to make me think small of myself
0: you know i i think i need to take a little musical interlude bl- break here hang on
2: Your boss is a jerk. We talk about your church and your head when it hurts. We talk about the troubles you've been having with your brother, about your daddy and your mother and your crazy ex-lover. We talk about your friends and the places that you've been. We talk about your skin and the dimples on your chin, the polish on your toes and the run and your hose. And God knows we're going to talk about your clothes. You know, talking about you makes me smile. But every once in a while, I want to talk about me, want to talk
3: about I, want to talk about number one on my mind.
0: Yeah. All right. Back to the whatever
2: this is. I am a child of God, created in the image of God. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. And not sure what that was.
2: The bishop's not even here yet, but I feel a spirit coming into the
0: house. So you're manifesting the spirit of T.D. Jakes.
2: Okay. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready.
0: Done. Sorry. That's about all that I could handle of Kevin Gerald. You know, but I have the perfect antidote for that. A, pa- a sermon by Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. In fact, we're going to do that on the other side of the break. Uh, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask me my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash piratechristian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate christian. We'll be right back. I need something to floss my brain. When he asked Peter, who do you say that I am? Jesus wasn't looking for affirmation. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. number two of fighting for the faith. Oh man, I remember to turn my microphone on coming out of the brakes. Oh man. You know, when Kevin Gerald goes, me, 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 me he's not warming up, he's preaching, you know. All right, let's do this right. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an Equal Opportunity Sermon Reviewing Service. Today's sermon comes to us via Bethel Evangelical Free Church, Hanley, Stoke-on-Trent, in the United Kingdom. Pastor Gervase Nicholas Edward Charmley presiding. The name of the sermon: The Antidote to Antichrist's Anti-Truth. Ugh. It, it, the, the biblical text if you want to have your Bible open it's first John chapter 2 verses 18 through 27 best thing I can tell you is is that all this nonsense we've been hearing out of uh, Charlotte North Carolina this week couldn't hold a, a flickering candle to the literally gazillion bajillion watt lighthouse of flaming truth beaming out of this sermon. I mean, I'll take a Pastor Charmley sermon any day from, you know, compared to any of the nonsense that we're hearing coming out of Code Orange, with the exception of Matt Chandler.
3: Da,
0: da, da. All right, let me kill uh, the music. So without any further ado, here is Pastor Charmley. He reads the text before he begins preaching. I'm not even going to interrupt him. Enjoy. Let this floss your brain as he points you to Jesus Christ and uh, preaches a biblical text from the text itself. You know, imagine that. Here's Pastor Charmley. Our scripture reading this morning
5: is taken from John's first epistle, First John and chapter 2. First John chapter 2. John is writing this epistle to a group of churches who are being troubled by false teachers who are in effect saying that they have a superior form of Christianity and the ordinary churches are inferior and John is writing to encourage these people that they are in fact true Christians and it is the false teachers who are missing out as it were 1st John chapter 2 my little children These things I write to you, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you which thing is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in the darkness walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children because you have known the father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Little children, here's the last hour. As you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things I have not written to you because you do not know the truth but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ he is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone should teach you. But the same, as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things that is true, and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who is born, who practises righteousness, is born of him. We trust God's blessing to rest on the reading of his most holy and precious word our text this morning is found in first John chapter 2 and verse 23 whoever denies the son does not have the father either he who acknowledges the son has the father also John is writing to group of churches who are troubled. And he gives three tests of true Christianity. The three tests are first of all the test of life. How is somebody behaving? Are they walking in accordance with the gospel? The second is the test of love. Do they love God's people? Do they love the brethren? Now, but to this point, our modern world will be quite satisfied, the vast majority of people who call themselves Christians will be quite satisfied with the tests of life and of love, of morality. But there is a third test, and that is the test of truth. Test of truth. What do they believe? What do they teach? What do they confess? What do they say about Jesus? And that's a test that many people will start away from. Before his death, the atheist Christopher Hitchens spoke with a Unitarian pastor on as either television or radio in America. And this woman said to him, well I consider myself a Christian. And Christopher Hitchens, the atheist, said, well, so do you believe the Bible? And she said, well, I believe the, the stories as stories, yes, but do you believe it's true? And she said, well, no, I don't. Well, John, the Apostle John, would say that woman was not a Christian. the great test that comes first of all in importance is what do you make of Jesus? What do you think of Jesus of Nazareth? That is still the great test. What think ye of Christ is the test to try both your state and your scheme, old John Newton wrote. You cannot be right in the rest unless you think rightly of him what do you think about Jesus there is such a thing as truth there are statements about Jesus that are true and statements that are false and to deny the truth is fatal and so John set out before us first of all antichrists He then sets out what is anti-truth and thirdly he gives us the great antidote to the lie. So first we have the antichrists. Little children is the last hour. And as you have heard that the antichrist is coming. Even now many antichrists have come. By which we know it is the last hour. Interestingly enough it is John who is the only writer in the entire Bible who uses the word Antichrist. Nobody else does and yet he uses it to refer to a teaching that these these Christians had already received. They've heard the Antichrist is coming. Now by this he means very much what the Apostle Paul means when he refers to the man of lawlessness or the man of sin in 2nd Thessalonians when he says that the end cannot come unless the man of sin comes first but John's concern is not with the final Antichrist now he affirms that there is a final Antichrist to come but he says Don't just think of the final antichrist to come. There are many little antichrists. The final antichrist is not someone who is totally original, totally unknown, but he is the last and greatest of a series of antichrists. There are people in the Bible, like Herod, who are antichrists. And these antichrists that... John is referring to are antichrists because of what they are teaching. They are antichrists who claim to be Christians. Now the word antichrist can simply mean one who is opposed to Christ. But it can also mean somebody who is offering something instead of Christ, in the place of Christ. that's what these people were doing. They were offering their teaching in the place of Christ. They were false teachers who were coming into churches and trying to transform the churches into their own assemblies. We see it happening. People try to come into churches and change them. There were several cases in the latter part of the 19th century after the Mormons came to England and particularly to Wales where Mormons would try to turn churches into Mormon churches. They come into say, and I think of a particular example here, there's a Baptist church down in South Wales where the Mormons came in and they converted the pastor to Mormonism. And the pastor then tried to turn the church into a Mormon church. What actually happened was the pastor got uh, kicked out of the church, although it took a great deal of effort. And they actually had to take him to court to get him evicted. But you see, the Mormons came and they tried to turn this Baptist church into a Mormon church. Well, this is what was happening in First John, in the, the situation there. There were people coming in trying to turn the churches into their own kind of churches. And these people failed they came in and the church members, they had been taught the truth, they knew the truth and they said, no this isn't, this isn't true, this isn't right, we won't listen to this and so the false teachers and all the people who had followed them left they went out from us they were in the church, in the local church, but they left and they left the people in the church confused what has happened Why have these people left us? And the answer in this case, John says, because these have not just left the local church to another local church, but they've left its equivalent almost. I suppose the modern equivalent would be if a group left and went to the Kingdom Hall, went to the Jehovah's Witnesses. And he's saying, the reason these people left you and set up their heretical cultic assembly down the street somewhere is because they were never Christians to begin with. They went out from us because they were not of us. They left us and embraced the falsehood and embraced the teaching of the antichrists because they were never Christians in the first place. Now these false teachers, they were saying, we have knowledge, we know things that you don't know. That's why historians call them Gnostics, which simply means people who know, of course, that's what they called themselves, they said, we know, just like the Watchtower Society called themselves the Jehovah's Witnesses, and we would deny vehemently that they are really witnesses to the Biblical God of Israel. The Mormons call themselves the Church of Jesus Christ of Lahaday Saints. We would vehemently deny that they have Christ. Because the Christ they teach is so different from the Christ of the Scriptures. But the Gnostics call themselves Gnostics. They said, we know we have special secret knowledge. Which you don't have. And also they call themselves anointed ones. They said, we have a special anointing. And John says to his readers who are disturbed by all this know you have an anointing from the Holy One you have an anointing from Jesus Christ they don't they are boasting their anointing but you have an anointing from the Holy One what is the anointing? well it's more a question of who is the anointing for the anointing is the Holy Spirit Jesus Christ sends his Holy Spirit upon the church and every Christian has the Holy Spirit dwelling within the Spirit has come the Spirit dwells within us we have the Holy Spirit if we are believers you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things now he doesn't mean that, that you know absolutely everything there is to know, rather he means that everything that there is to know as Christians, everything there is to know about what God has revealed, you know God has fully revealed himself in the Lord Jesus, there is no secret knowledge, there is no advanced revelation, there is God in the face of Jesus of Nazareth. God, who in many times and many places revealed himself in time past by the prophets, has in these last days revealed himself in his Son, Jesus Christ. And there is no extra revelation on top of Jesus. He is the full revelation. No man has seen God at any time The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has made Him known. He has revealed Him. He has explained Him. There's no extra secret knowledge. You know all things. There's nothing extra. Nothing extra to what is in this book. And if anyone comes to you disparaging the Bible and saying, I want new revelation, there's a problem. If someone comes to you saying, I've got new revelation, alarm bells should be going off all over the place. Because God has told us all that he has to tell us in Jesus. Now it will take a lifetime, it will take more than a lifetime to find out the depths of this book, to know the depths of the revelation of God in Jesus. But God has spoken for all time. What more can he say that to you We have said, you who unto Jesus for refuge have fled. There is nothing more. You know all things. And so we come to the second point, the anti-truth. Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Because the truth does come down to who is Jesus? And you can ask people who is Jesus, and that will give you the answer as to whether or not they are a Christian. Because you see, we can look at the Mormons. And there's some very nice people among the Mormons. When I was a, an employee at Marks and Spencers years ago, we had a, a young lady there who was a really nice individual. She'd, she'd been a very wild girl a few years ago, but now she was well behaved, didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't do any of the things she'd done before. and She was a Mormon and they are such nice people when you meet them and they do love one another Mormon communities are very loving but what do they think about Jesus and you see it is important it does matter because Jesus is a real person it's not a matter of opinion as it would be in the case where it's simply legend, where it's simply stories, you can differ in your interpretation of a story, but you cannot differ in your opinion of a man and be right. The lie is that Jesus is not the Christ. Now by this we don't understand simply that he's not the Jewish Messiah. That these people are saying Jesus is not the Messiah. Rather, this is written to Christians. And it means everything that the Bible says about Jesus. That he is the eternal Son of God. Become flesh that he is God and he is man at the same time he is one person in many of the early denials of the truth that Jesus is both God and man were denials that he was really a man that he was really incarnate people said well God cannot really become man People looked at the world and they had a view that the world is somehow evil in and of itself, so God couldn't create the world, and God could certainly not become incarnate. God could not enter into his world. And so they said, yeah, he appeared to be a man. He is Antichrist who denies that Jesus is the Christ, who denies that God has come in the flesh. A few weeks ago, we celebrated Christmas veiled in flesh the Godhead see hail the incarnate deity we sang and if you cannot sing that and mean it you are not a Christian and the other way the, the modern tendency in the West is to deny the deity of Christ as a Unitarian meeting house down in Newcastle I don't know what they believe. I suspect they don't know either. Modern Unitarianism is very uh, open. They say you can believe anything you like, or as much or as little as you like, and still be part of our, our group. But it's founded, Unitarianism is founded on denial that Jesus is God, and the idea that he is simply a good man. Again, many Unitarians, all the Unitarians I've ever met, have been very nice people. But Christianity is not about being a nice person. Christians should be nice people, but it flows out of what God has done for us in Christ. Once again, we understand, we know from the scriptures that God God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, that Jesus died upon the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. Deny that and you are denying that Jesus is the Christ. The crucifixion, the atonement, is the reason why he came into the world. He said, what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour, for this hour, for this reason I came into the world, that I might be crucified. The Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many deny the atonement, and you deny that Jesus is the Christ. In other words, the whole of Christian doctrine is bound up in this assertion that Jesus is the Christ, this affirmation that we make, Jesus is the Christ, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, was Peter's confession. At Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus asked him, now who do you say that I am? Who do you disciples say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Anyone who differs from that is anti-truth. And the result of this denial, whatever it is, of the biblical witness to Christ, we could go on for quite some time detailing various errors but the result of denying that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God is this you don't have God anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ doesn't have God because whoever denies the son does not have the father either, And whoever denies the son denies the father think about it God cannot be father if he has no son By denying that God has the Son, you have a completely different idea of God. The church has affirmed, the Bible teaches that God is three persons, one God. But if we deny that Jesus is the Son, and we affirm something else instead, then we have a completely different understanding of God. You either have the, the Gnostic idea that God cannot have anything to do with this world, and so God is not the Creator. So if you say God is not the Creator, then His relation to the world is totally different. If you say Jesus is not eternal, then there was a time when God was one person, alone. And therefore it cannot be true that God is love, because love is self-giving. Love requires an object, and God alone, one person alone cannot love, because he has nothing to love. So either the universe is necessary, or God is not love. Either way, you have completely reinterpreted who God is. Denial that Jesus is the Christ is denial that God is as he is in Scripture. When the Jews affirmed, or denied rather, that Jesus is the Christ, they became worshippers of an idol, not a physical idol, but a mental idol of a God who has no son. The Muslims say of God he neither begets nor is begotten. That's actually found in the Quran. Again, explicit denial of the Son. So we cannot say, as some people try to, that Muslims and Christians worship the same God. Because they say God has no Son and we say God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Totally different views of God. And whoever has not got the Son has not got the father either. They are worshipping a false god because they are denying that which is true of God. But he who acknowledges the son has the father also. Here is the the positive side of it. We come to God through Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth is the one who reveals God to us because he is God. He is the one who comes to us and says, Look unto me all the ends of the earth and be saved, for I am God and there is no other. He is the one who comes to us. God comes to us in flesh. God comes to us in a man who loved us and gave himself for us. God comes to us in the lowly man of Nazareth. And we, like the Apostle Thomas, fall before him and cry with joy unspeakable, Thou art my Lord, my God. Christ makes God known to us and he brings us to the Father. That is why in prayer we, we Speak to the Father, our Father who art in heaven. But we come in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And it is a wonderful thing to think, to know our God revealed in flesh. Our God with us, Emmanuel. We come to the Father by Jesus the Son and so we come finally to the antidote, the antidote to the antichrist, antitruth. there are two parts of this antidote, they are the Word and the Spirit and they are joined together it is an antidote made of two parts, but the two parts are always together the Word and the Spirit and Christians, this is addressed to Christians after all, are told First of all, let the word abide in you. Let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. What did they hear? They heard the gospel. Let the gospel abide in you. How do we let the gospel abide in us? Well, we receive the word in the scriptures. And first of all, we let the word abide in us by not letting anything else take its place. It is easy to become excited over other things. The latest, this, that and the other. But no, we are to let the gospel abide in us. Not the latest Christian paperback. Not the excitement of party politics. Not even the excitement of the FA Cup that we are to let the word of God abide in us doesn't mean that we're not to have any other interests after we've all got callings in the world but it means that the word has a primary place, the gospel has a primary place and the gospel is simply this, that God sent his son into the world that the world through him might be saved That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And so, of course, we have the Scriptures in the first place. We read the Word daily. Not as a duty, not as something that has to be done as a daily task, but as something that we enjoy. In this book, think of the marvel of it in this book, God is speaking to you and to me. He is speaking. The word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's powerful. There is power in the word. It is not, How sadly a Christian book that was popular in Isaac University put it, The record of where God has been. Now that was an evangelical book. And here was a fellow saying, we're not interested in where God has been, but we're interested in where God is now. By which he meant excitements and all that sort of thing. No, this is where God is. He is in the Word. The Holy Spirit speaks. Pretends in the Word. This is the Word of God this is the most supremely valuable thing in the universe for here God speaks to you and to me and we value it, we love it and simply reading the word daily has a wonderful effect read two, three, four chapters a day. If you read four chapters a day you can get through the whole Bible in a year and actually more than the whole Bible in a year. If you read four chapters a day you can get through the whole book in a year and have time left over so you can read more of it. And simply by doing that we become familiar with it. More and more familiar. It's amazing how just by reading it, you can become familiar with the Bible. Hearing it read, some of us find it quite easy to listen to the Bible being read and we hear it go in. And it becomes easy to understand as we hear it read. And you can get CDs, you can download things off the internet of the Bible being read free if you know where to find them. And it means that we attend the meetings of the church. Because here again the Bible is read, the Bible is expounded, the Bible is opened up. We have the Bibles. And we look for those Christian books that are full of the Bible that help us to understand the Bible. It may not be as exciting as some other Christian books. They certainly won't be on the bestseller list, I'm afraid. In even evangelicalism today, they're not on the bestseller list. The best books are not the ones that are being that are selling in the millions. They ought to be but they're not the best books are those that bring us to the scriptures that explain the scriptures and open them up so we have first of all the word we have to let the word abide in us take every opportunity to study, to read to hear the word but then also the anointing which you have received from him abides in you and you do not need that anyone should teach you, now the word you here is plural we have no distinction anymore obviously those of you who have the, the King James Bible, the uh, Authorized version, that does make a distinction between plural and singular use because it was just about still something that existed in English in the sixteenth century, it was really going out of the seventeenth in modern English we can't distinguish between you singular and plural. And we live in a very individualistic society. But the ancient world didn't think that way. The world was not so much about the individual. And this letter is not about first of all the individual but about the church. It's written to the church. To the congregations. And he says you the church of God do not need that anyone teach you. You don't need these people coming in from outside saying, we've got extra stuff to teach you. You've got within yourself, first of all, as a church, you've got the Bible. Secondly, you've got people God has given gifts of teaching to. You've got your own teachers who can teach and who are seeking to equip you for works of ministry, for works of service in the church. You don't need these foreign people coming in, is what John is saying. You, the same anointing teaches you all things and is not a lie. The Holy Spirit teaches us. And he teaches us individually as we read the Bible as we compare scripture with scripture. The vast majority of false teaching comes because people don't do that. Someone camps out on one verse of the Bible they've misunderstood. And says, well it says here Jesus said the Father is greater than I. So, the Unitarian says, it says here that Jesus said the Father is greater than I, so Jesus can't be God. To which of course the Orthodox, Trinitarian comes along and says, yes, but over here Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And over here it says that Jesus, who is the Word, that the Word was with God and the Word was God. So you've taken this one bit of Scripture, you've opposed this other bit of Scripture. But actually we've got to bring them together. We've got to say, what does the whole Bible say? What does the whole Bible say? Not what does this little bit over here say? We take this You find it sometimes, someone will take a a terribly obscure little bit of scripture in the Revelation, a verse in the Revelation and will camp out on it and say, look, this little verse in the Revelation proves so and so against all these other verses over here. Well you see that is not how the Holy Spirit teaches The Holy Spirit teaches us that all scripture, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God it doesn't have to be a minister the man of God, the woman of God Christian may be fully equipped for all good works we have the Holy Spirit and there is no deeper stuff to come than what's in the Bible we look for no Extra-biblical revelation. We are satisfied with what God has said. We must be, for He has spoken unto us. So we see this great test of truth that there are antichrists, enemies of the truth out there, with their anti-truth, their denial that Jesus is the Christ. And the great antidote is the Scripture and the Spirit working together. The spirit works by the scriptures teaching us so we read the scriptures with prayer we read the scriptures with reverence and we read them as the word of God we do not bring our own theory to the Bible we remember that the verse divisions are not inspired can't take a single verse Never read a single Bible verse. Read a chapter at least. Because then you will get the connection of the truth. But God has spoken to us in the scriptures. And that is, that is the truth. This is the truth. Here we must stand. We can do
3: no other. Amen. Amen. And with that,
0: I'm just gonna sign off. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. At my email address, talkback at You can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash Pirate You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till Monday. May God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins.
3: Amen.